Not only do we have a big weekend on the way, we've got a couple of hours that are jam-packed. Today on London Live, we have a total of, I have to take off a shoe for this, 12 guests. We'll be talking with 12 different people about a number of different things, getting you either set for this weekend or looking at things that are ahead in the future or even looking back over this past week. Remember earlier in the week, if you were joining us, I ended up taking a walk, and I'm walking down Colburn, and I'm going south. I'm almost at Horton, and I'm getting up to the tracks, and I look down, and there it is. Look, listen, live.ca, right in the sidewalk. Well, I wasn't too sure whether that was such a useful thing. I wasn't convinced. In about 40 minutes, we'll talk with the person who helped London to put those things down. We'll talk with Sarah Mays from Operation Lifesaver. So we'll get the background on this, because I never like to cut things up without knowing the full story. It's like politics, you know, even sports, doesn't matter what it is. Anything that you can look at, maybe even your own boss or your, your manager, when you don't know the full story behind something... It's easy to take shots at it and be completely wrong, completely miss. If you look at politics, for example, we would like to think that politicians go to work and just say, okay, what are we going to screw up today? What are we going to do here? Let's, uh, Let's find some stuff and make a mess of it. Hey, is there any way that we can spend ungodly sums of money and really tick off The electorate, could we do that today? It is Friday. Come on, we're heading into a long weekend. Let's waste some stuff. They don't do that. Sports teams, you think a coach that makes maybe what's deemed a questionable decision does that on purpose? No. They're making that decision because they believe it's in the best interest of their team. The Toronto Blue Jays have taken so much heat this week. So much heat for not getting enough back for players they traded away right at or right before the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Don't do that. Don't don't knock them for that. Because, A, you don't know these players. Well, I'm looking on a list, and somebody's list says they're not in the top 100. You know what that top 100 is worth? That's worth starting a fire this weekend that you have, you know, a nice little chat and some drinks around. Nice little bonfire. That's what that's worth. You just you take that, crumple that up, light it up. That's what that's worth. If you look at the prospect, oh, the top prospects, very rarely do you see that top 100 turn into viable major leaguers. It's like one in four actually make it. So don't worry about that. The Jays are not looking and saying, we've got to screw this up. We, you know what we've got to do? We've got to make this roster a complete mess. That's not happening. People don't do that. Your boss does not go to work and say, I'm going to make today a nightmare for everybody. That doesn't happen. But from our perspective, that's always how it appears, right? It's easy to say, oh, they, look at them. They screwed that up. They Easy to do that. Nobody goes to anywhere and says, I'm going to make a mess of this. Doesn't happen. So that's why I wanted to talk with Sarah Mays from Operation Lifesaver about what we see on the sidewalk. And I'll ask the questions. Why doesn't it say danger? Why is it on the sidewalk? What about winter? And we'll get the answers. And maybe it'll make more sense then 
then it seems to now. In about an hour from now, I can't wait for this. And I probably will never even make use of what we're talking about. We're going to discuss the coming legalization of edibles and beverages that contain cannabis or CBD or, well, I mean, THC or CBD, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, Neil Morata is going to join us from Diva. And Neil has a line that I think we need to put somewhere because this is very important. And if you have teenagers, young adults, I don't know, relatives, you need to sit down and have a conversation with them. I'm convinced. And Neil, as we were talking about this, setting up the interview, had such a a great piece of advice. And he's going to give it again in an hour from now. But I want to give it now just in case you're not listening in an hour from now. Here's the piece of advice. If you are making use of edibles at any time, here's the tip. Try a little bit and then don't take any more until tomorrow. That's Neil's line. I, I think that's brilliant because how many times do you hear a story about someone with an edible especially? You know, I, I heard a story a little while ago. Someone had made sherbet and it had cannabis content, THC content. And the person took a bite and thought, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. And they kept going, even though the person who had made it said, don't eat the whole thing. Don't eat the whole cup. Like, like seriously, don't. And the person had a terrible experience. Take a little bit and then don't take any more until tomorrow. Because, And here's the thing you've got to stress with kids, especially, who have no experience with even alcohol or very little experience with alcohol. They don't know what they're doing. It's like the great nine who funnels half a Mickey and then winds up in the hospital. That's going to happen. You have no idea what you're doing. And I think we're all in that boat with edibles. I don't know if I'll ever even try edibles, but it's our job here to make sure that we've got all the information we can provide. So when you're you're using something like that, you don't know how it's going to hit you. You don't know when it's going to hit you. You can eat something and think, yeah, it's been 45 minutes. I feel nothing. Well, that could be completely normal. And then you take another one, and next thing you know, it hits you, and it hits you hard, and bad things are happening. You don't want that. So in an hour from now, mark that down or check out the podcast that goes up later today at 980cfpl.ca. We're going to talk with Neil Murata of Indiva, and it'll be a very informative conversation because it always is. Let's begin with something that I'm surprised, I'm shocked, chagrined. I'm surprised it's not more widespread. really am. Year-round schooling. Do you realize that this is a Friday for students in certain schools in the Peel region that celebrates the end of the first week of school? Because it does. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But this wouldn't be Friday without an opportunity to speak with a very good friend of London Live. We'll do that in a minute. Actually, uh, we'll do that now. Marilyn, how are you on this Friday? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Now, you were serious about getting that dog t- uh, tomorrow? Uh, not tomorrow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Marilyn, you're, you're, you're walking me down a, a very tricky tightrope here. No, not tomorrow. I think on the 17th, we're going to go out to the Plunkett Estate. I think Palooza's happening. Oh, good. And you're going to get a dog. I can't guarantee that. Oh, please. Come on. I can't guarantee. I'm, we're going, I'm going in with an open mind and a very open heart. 
good. And if if good. I look and I look across the estate and I catch the eyes of a twelve year old beagle and and we lock eyes and and we just know from that moment we were meant to be together, then I'll get a dog. Oh, good. Well, I hope you do. In fact, I'll even pray about it. Okay. And now look at. Um, I wonder if the news department could keep us updated about Skyler and Porsche's um, uh, progress. Okay. And about the boy who was um, uh, hit and injured. Absolutely. By the run uh, this. Um, uh, what do you call it? Hit and run. Hit and run. Whenever we get new information, Marilyn, we will certainly have that for oh, you. Oh, because I, I've been praying for them, and I, I just, I'm against police chases. Yeah, it's it's a tricky situation because there is danger, but at the same time, if you have an opportunity to catch a criminal, sometimes that's that's the extent you have to go to. So well, we've I, we've seen I, some tragedies. We really have. Well, I really feel for. Uh, uh, Portia's husband and her family because, you know, it, it'll change their lives forever, dear. Already has. Marilyn, has. thank you and have and yourself a great weekend, you, okay? And have an open mind about the dog. I'll keep on your, I'll keep at you about it, but I won't <laughs> nag you. <laughs> oh, you're allowed to nag. That's okay. I don't get nagged in my life, so I, well, I need somebody to do it. Well, I just love you to pieces and your family. You're a wonderful man, and I won't. Um, I feel very comfortable talking to you. Well, I feel very comfortable talking to you, Marilyn. All the best. Thank all you, right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Let's talk year-round schooling. I am surprised, shocked even, that we don't have more of it now. There are some things that make it difficult in that we do have a lot of rural schools whose students are working hard on farms in the summer, so it's not conducive in that way. But the idea that we have kids out of school for nine weeks in a row is insane. What's the biggest social disease going? We talk about it from time to time. Why do you do that? Because that's the way we've always done it. We have had schools in the Peel region that have had year-round schooling for years now, for over a decade in some cases, and it hasn't caught on. And I find that very surprising. So let's find out a little bit more about it, okay? Because you can't form an opinion until you know more about something. So joining us right now as we kick off London Live is the principal of Ray Lawson Public School in Brampton, Ontario, Laura Stockwell. Laura, uh, welcome back to school. How has this week gone? This week has been great. The <laughs> students were very excited to come back to school on Monday. Parents were happy, lots of grandparents and parents dropping students off. Students are really excited to see their friends, and they've really settled this week back into school routines very quickly. And they have had time off, right? They, they were finished when everybody else was finished, end of June? Yes, that's correct. So they had um, they had four four weeks off. Yes. How long have you been involved in? Is it even called year round schooling? Is that the right name for it? So we call it the ba- a balanced calendar because the breaks for students and staff are balanced throughout the year. So the uh, students uh, had four weeks off in July. We come back five weeks earlier than the rest of the school system. And then we get five weeks of breaks throughout the year. So we have two weeks off around the Thanksgiving weekend in October, an extra week in December, 
a week off in February when everybody needs a break from the winter and two weeks of a March break instead of one. So that sounds like a, a lot of breaks and, and a little bit longer. It's the same amount of school days as all of the other uh, public um, and Catholic schools in the province, but the breaks are spread out differently throughout the year. So it feels, um, it feels different. So definitely students and staff are coming back um, from breaks oh, very refreshed, and because of the breaks are throughout the year, there's more of them, and so they, they don't have... Um, they're not getting that fatigue that we would normally see in a, a regular school. Yeah, that's a great point. One of the other mm-hmm. things that we always hear about is review, where when you yeah. start a school year, you're going, remember when we did this? Remember? And you go through review. Mm-hmm. Does it cut down on review at all? It does. So we don't need to review as much of the learning with students. And because the break is shorter, there's a much greater retention of the learning that they've done throughout the year. And they're coming back uh, less time. And we're, we really see a big difference um, for our English language learners because there's uh, less time away from school. There's a, a much greater retention of that English language vocabulary with those students. But with all our students, definitely there's a greater retention of the learning from the previous year. They're going into a new grade when they come back to school in uh, July, or sometimes it's August, depending on the way the calendar works. Uh, but they are um, remembering much more of what they learned in the previous grade when they come back to that new grade. We are talking with Laura Stockwell, principal at Ray Lawson Public School in Brampton, where they have a balanced schedule. We might want to call it year-round learning or year-round school. And they actually went back to school this Monday. So they're completing the first week of school this week. Laura, has the, the Peel Board has done this, but has it been termed a, a guinea pig in any way? Do you have a lot of other boards watching you to see what the performance of students is like or, or how this is received? So I'm not sure if there are other boards who are watching the balanced calendar schools, but um, the Peel Board has uh, three schools on this calendar. The first school was Roberta Bondar Public School, and it's in its 15th year. Um, and previous to coming to Ray Lawson, which is in its eighth year of being open and on this calendar, I was the vice principal at Roberta Bondar, so very familiar with the calendar. And um, three years ago, they opened a new school, uh, Tony Pontus Public School. And so there's three schools on this calendar. It seems like there are a lot of advantages. You're talking about the way that students are able to perform, cutting down on review time, all of that sort of stuff. Is there a challenge anywhere? Is there anything that is different in that way? So it, it, there are lots of advantages, you know, it's about rethinking the way that we teach for sure and uh, lots of advantages too for students in terms of um, their social relationships and their friendships so they come back, uh, they're not away from their friends as long. Um, some of the challenges that we find are um, just in terms of the, the logistics of running the school, um, people forget that we're back in um, July and August, and so sometimes it's just a matter of reminding people, don't forget we have a different schedule, or people forget that we're off in October. Um, and so it's just a matter of continue, continuing to remind people um, that we are off or we're back um, so that people remember 
because we do get forgotten sometimes. So you may have had people not in school this week for the first couple of days because oh, Ed, yep, forgot school's back. Yes, we did have a we did have a few students and uh, that we missed on the first day, but we call them and remind them. Yes. <laughs> now you would have to have air conditioning. That would have to be number one on the list, I'm sure, if you're going to have school in August. Yes, uh, the three schools in Peel that are on this calendar are air conditioned. Yes. But that's not a bad challenge either and easy to overcome. Are you surprised that you're not seeing more schools around Ontario? You've been involved in this for a long time now, and, and it mm-hmm. sounds like it has real advantages. It does have real advantages, but uh, it's, it's, um, it's it, that rethinking part, right? And not everybody is ready for a change like this. Uh, I don't think it would work for every community, but the communities where the schools are in Peel, the the uh, parents and the families really, really like it. But there are some um, other places, and Ontario, I'm sure, that are very entrenched in the regular uh, calendar, and it wouldn't work for those families. So uh, for some families, it works really, really well, and for others, it doesn't. We see that sometimes with our staff. As the staff... Uh, start to have uh, school-aged children. Uh, sometimes some of our teachers and staff feel they want to be on the same calendar as their children, so they look for an uh, opportunity in another school that's on the regular calendar. And some of our staff um, who have school-aged children really like that they're on a different calendar because it gives them opportunities to perhaps volunteer at their child's school during our breaks. Um, it gives them different kinds of opportunities to be involved with their child and their child's learning that they wouldn't be able to take advantage of if they were on the same schedule as their child. So it works for some families. It doesn't work for others. And I think it would work for uh, some communities really well, and for others it wouldn't work. Yeah, rural communities might struggle a little bit given the extra chores that exist in some places in the summertime. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. if, if you're in a good city setting, mm-hmm. we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about the balanced calendar. Laura, thanks so much, and enjoy the second week of school next week. Well, thank you so much. It was really nice talking with you today. Laura Stockwell, principal at Ray Lawson Public School in Brampton, and prior to that, a principal at Roberta Bondar Public School, and they were the first to go with what is called a balanced calendar. Why doesn't this exist in more places? The kids don't have to go away for nine weeks. Nine weeks is too long. It really is. You waste time on review, and the only thing, other than, again, The challenges that would exist, why do we have Western Fair when we do? Well, we have a lot of farming communities around this area that need to go into September with harvest, and you have a lot of kids who are needed to work the farms in the summer. So maybe it wouldn't work in that way, but in the city of London, why don't we have at least one? Why don't we have a couple that would be balanced schedules? We'll have to check this out with the Thames Valley District School Board and the London District Catholic Board to see whether or not this merits consideration or why you don't do it. Because you add in bigger breaks. So you get a break at Thanksgiving. You get a bigger break at Christmas. You get a bigger break at March break. So you make up the same amount of time. How many kids are bored right now? We've started the month of August. Raise your hands if you happen to be listening to this in the background Yeah, you're bored. You've had enough. It's time to get back to it. That's how learning should work. We have a system 
that has been the same for too long. I also, you know, you look at some of the ways, and I don't want to completely revamp the school system, but I look at at how it does play to the lowest common denominator sometimes, where if you're a teacher, you have to make sure everybody is ready to move on before you move on in most cases. Now, some get it done in different ways, but that's wrong too. That should not be, you should not hold people back simply because you have to wait for everybody else. The ones that are pushing forward, the ones that can do more, do have options. I'm not saying they don't, but the school system is not designed for them. I think it should be. Let's take a break. We still have a lot to come. That was one guest. I said it off the start. We have 12 guests today on the show. We continue with London Live in a moment on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Canada is off to a good start at the World Junior Summer Showcase taking place in Plymouth, Michigan. I think it's still a CompuWare Arena. Used to be when the OHL called it home. Now it's the home of the U.S. National Development Team program. And they have Canada and Sweden and Finland and the U.S. there for a summer tournament. And they've been doing this for a couple of years now. And Canada's there. Canada's World Junior Team is being coached by Dale Hunter. GM is Mark Hunter. And Canada's up 2-0 on Sweden. Canada lost to Finland this week, beat the U.S. right before the Finland game. They'll play the U.S. again tomorrow. And this is just an opportunity to take a look at players. Ryan Suzuki, who's from London, is there. A couple of London Knights, Liam Foody and Connor McMichael, are there. And so it's 2-0 Canada in the first period. We'll watch that game go by. This weekend is a big weekend. London Majors tonight and tomorrow. The Majors are guaranteed to play the, the Well and Jackfish in the first round of the playoffs. That's a good name. That is Jackfish. Can you eat a Jackfish? Or do you catch that and throw it back? I don't fish. And I certainly don't fish well. Well and Jackfish, London Majors. They'll work out who has home field advantage this weekend. And we also have the playoffs set to begin for FC London's women's side on Sunday. They'll be in Oshawa on the next Saturday. They'll be at home next Sunday. The men's side is at home for their final match, and they'll finish things up. And a couple of local teams are taking place in OBA or taking part in OBAs in baseball this weekend. So best of luck for them. I know Ilderton is there, and at TD Stadium. And we'll talk about this in five minutes from now. There is a whole lot of football happening this weekend. London came to the rescue in this, and the London Junior Mustangs, one of their teams, has a shot at a big old championship, but there are six championship games being played at TD Stadium this weekend. We'll have details on that after news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. We've been hearing John Wilson talk about the fact that we are humidity-free with lots of sunshine. You know who likes that? Football players. Football players enjoy the fact that it'll be sunny, no weather to deal with, no high winds, no slippery ball, and no humidity. You play in August, you might get any and all of those things. This looks like a beautiful weekend, and it is a big weekend of football in London, Ontario. 
We have an opportunity to talk about just how big and just what is taking place and how it even came to happen, courtesy of K.J. Kenemy, who is the head coach of the London Junior Mustangs Bantam team and a big part of the OPFL. And the OPFL is coming to London. K.J., great to have you on London Live. How excited are you for this? Uh, We're very excited. You know, the opportunity to host uh, the OPFL championships came about because uh, the pro soccer team in Hamilton had to have a practice on the Sunday. And so about a month ago, we got asked uh, who wanted to host it. We stepped up. We've got great volunteers, great support staff. We've been doing this for nine years. And, uh, you know, after two straight varsity OPFL championships, uh, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to host and showcase our volunteers and our beautiful city. Well, you're going to be playing in one of the games this weekend. We'll get to that in just a minute. But this is a full weekend. This is tomorrow. This is Sunday. How many games are being played? So we have six games at the Premier Division, so the AAA Division. Uh, the first game will be London Junior Mustangs versus the Ottawa Sooners. That's the Bantam Championship at 1 p.m. At 3 p.m., we have the Hamilton Varsity Junior Ticats playing against uh, the Durham Dolphins. And then uh, at uh, 7 p.m., the Varsity Championship, which we are we're the defending champions, but we got knocked off last week in Essex by a great Essex team coached by Glenn Mills, Ottawa Sooners versus the Essex Ravens. So a great day for our premier. And then uh, regional, double-A, uh, uh, we've got York and Guelph in two of the games, and it's going to be a, a really fun day to top off uh, the double-A uh, championships. We're talking with K.J. Kennedy, who is the head coach of the Bantam team for the London Junior Mustangs, and we'll again get to what they're going to be doing against the Ottawa Sooners. But you look at the the growth of football. We've had an awful lot of great high school football in this area. Of course, we've had a lot of great players come out of this area. But you look at now the level of AA and AAA. What has this meant to the sport to have this in, in the past few years? Well, first off, I'd be remiss. You know, we've got great youth program in the LMFA. Uh, you know, Brock Burgess does a great job over there. A lot of our coaches and players kind of developed uh, down there. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, Western, which is the top of the uh, echelon. You've got the beef eaters. We're all working together. Uh, you know, obviously, the LMFA is a different league, uh, different league. We're not kind of affiliated with them. But like I said, we have had some great experience from there. You've got the Thunderbirds, who uh, John Darnell has done an amazing job over the years. The Falcons used to be the junior Mustangs. So when we came in and when I took this role as the VP of Football Ops uh, five years ago, I was with the program for the first nine years on and off doing Rogers TV and uh, whatnot. We tried to model ourselves at the youth level because we were struggling, uh, like the Essex Ravens, Cambridge Lions, and the Niagara Spears, all perennial powers. And uh, we finally... Uh, you know, achieve the competitiveness, and it's a testament to all the great coaches. You know, I get to coach at CCH. I get to learn a lot over there, and uh, and then of course, you know, having guys like J.P. Cicelli and Mike Cicelli heavily involved in our program over the last few years. It's been great. This year, we've got Gavin Lake from the Toronto Argonauts. He's our coaching director, and he's been invaluable in, uh, you know, bringing our program. But we almost had three teams playing this weekend, but unfortunately, as you know, winning playoff games are very difficult, and last week, we had two teams, uh, you know, come just short, but great season by head coach Matt Snyder at the JV level, and Gary Howlenby at the varsity level. Well, you're going to kick it all off with your team. The London Junior Mustangs have won a lot of championships over the years. You mentioned, you know, the the varsity team is the defending champs, being knocked out by Essex last week. But now you go into a game tomorrow against Ottawa. Tell us a little bit about your team. Well, it started off this way in January. You know, actually, it started last year in the fall season. 
we watched our kids uh, lose to a real talented Cambridge team in the semifinals. Uh, they got shut out, but they played their butts off. And so in January at Centerfield Sports, one of our great sponsors, uh, we began the quest. And uh, these kids put in the work. They've worked very hard. We started the season off against Essex, the defending champions. And, you know, in a barn burner of a Wild Wild West type game, we lost 34-27. And I remember being asked by one of the reporters, you know, what does this mean? And you don't win championships in week one. And it was a good wake-up call for us as we got back to the drawing board. And, and what we've done is a testament to our coaches, uh, to our managers. We've got great women uh, volunteers that uh, really do a great job of getting us prepared off the field. And then, of course, our coaches working really hard. But really, to be honest with you, it's the players. They've bought in. Uh, this is their championship, and it's their championship to win. Well, we wish you the best of luck, KJ, and anybody who's looking for information on times can head to the London Junior Mustangs Facebook page, and you'll find all the times there. But a big weekend of football. Thank you for kind of picking this up when it couldn't happen elsewhere. And like you said, go and show them what this community and what this city's all about. Good luck. Thank you so much, and thanks for all that you do uh, with your coverage of sports here in the, the Forest City. Thanks, KJ. Take care now. KJ Kanemi, head coach of the London Junior Mustangs Bantam team. They kick it off tomorrow, 1 o'clock. No humidity, beautiful day, lots of football. If you're a football fan, TD Stadium, that's where you need to be. Let's take a break. And again, for more information, head to the London Junior Mustangs Facebook page. Just Google London Junior Mustangs Facebook. You have all that you need. We will take a break. In the hall right now, we've got four guys who look like hockey-playing guys because that's who they are. Ryan Burke, Garrett McCabe, Ethan McKinnon, Max Beckford, all next. They are the creators of something pretty amazing. We'll find out what that is when we return. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have a studio full of hockey players right now. Please welcome to London Live... Former Elgin Middlesex Chiefs, all headed in different directions now. Ryan Burke, Garrett McCabe, Ethan McKinnon, and Max Beckford. They are the creators of Hockey for Everyone. And this is amazing. Guys, welcome to the studio. Max, why don't you lay this out for us? What have you guys put together? We're doing a one-day event at um, London Sports Park Arena on Saturday, August 10th from 10.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Any um, boy or girl, doesn't matter, that's between the ages of seven and nine years old is welcome to attend. That's amazing. And what are they paying to do this? It's free. Free. That's what I thought. Absolutely free. Okay. This isn't something that normally guys your age put together, but you've done this. The four of you. This is, this is outstanding. Ryan, take us back to how this got going were you in a room somewhere on the road was it between the third period and overtime ryan how did this happen uh so our parents came together one night and they got a, a good idea by this and thought we should give back to the kids so we got together on a group chat and thought it'd be a great idea so then we just went along with it and that's what happened see moms and dads when you've got the kids in on the group chat, and you're thinking, who are you talking to? All the, why are you always on that phone? Look at the good things that can come out of that phone. Garrett, when you first found out about it and thought about it, what did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was a little crazy at first, but uh, now thinking back on it, like our parents have been there since we were little kids. They always take us to like events like these, so we got to get back to the community like they did for us. And, Ethan, I guess if, if we think back in time, you were probably on the ice 
with older guys, guys you could look up to. Do you remember any of those times? Yeah, it was it was for sure good to uh, listen to them and improve my game from uh, just watching theirs. It was scary at first, but then as, as things got going, it got better and better. We're talking with four guys who were members of the Elgin Middlesex Chiefs minor midget team from last year. Max Beckford, Ethan McKinnon, Garrett McCabe, and Ryan Burke. And they have kicked off Hockey for Everyone, which is a free event. And Max, again, the age range you're looking for and the, and the date and time for anybody who missed it the first time? It's on August 10th, Saturday, from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we're looking for boys or girls from the ages 7 and 9. And preferably, um, if they play a level of non-competitive hockey, that's better. Okay, excellent. Now, in terms of telling people that they might be interested, how do they contact you guys? You've got a bunch of ways to do it. Uh, maybe, Ethan, you can run through what those ways are. Yep, so you can reach us through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Or contact us at HockeyForEveryone at gmail dot, or sorry, HockeyForEveryoneLondon at gmail.com. Excellent. And we have all of that information in studio, so if you're hearing about this right now, just give us a call, 519-643-2222, and we will pass along any of that information to you. You guys are getting set to head in separate ways here. I mean, minor midget year is, is over, and summer is kind of going by really quickly. Garrett, when you look back to last year, anything stick out to you? Any any memories that you're going to look around at these guys and say, yeah, I'm going to remember that forever? Um, one of the best memories was probably uh, heading into the playoffs. Uh, we weren't like in a playoff spot in January. We went 11-1 and in January to put us in seventh place. Uh, we brought Waterloo to game six, uh, fell short 2 nothing in that game. But looking back on it, we we had a pretty good year. Now you guys are heading in so many different directions, but yet you, you really don't know what directions you're headed. still kind of up in the air for a lot of you. Ryan, what, what would be the, the dream season coming up for you? Well, the dream season would be playing for Sudbury. But if not, I'm uh, going to St. Mary's camp, which they've already uh, signed a contract for me. So that doesn't end up, I'm playing in St. Mary's. Well, that's that's good. You've yes. got those two things. Garrett, how about you? What what would be the dream season for you? Uh either junior B or major midget, uh with Elgin again. And that major midget program has come along so quickly and so well. That's that's fantastic. All right. Ethan, how about you? What what would be the dream season for you? The dream would be to sign with the Knights, but as of right now I'm playing in Saint Thomas for the Stars. Excellent. And Max? Another draft pick of the Knights? Same thing. The dream season would be to obviously play for the Knights. Well, in the meantime, you know what? You guys are doing something absolutely incredible in this community. So hockey for everyone. Ethan, run down all that stuff again. How do we get in touch if somebody wants to be a part of this? You can contact us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or send us an email at HockeyForEveryoneLondon at gmail.com. Gentlemen, this is a sign of no doubt things to come in your lives. Thanks for doing this, and good luck with everything. Good luck with the hockey careers as well. Okay, thank you so much. In studio with us, Max Beckford, Ethan McKinnon, Garrett McCabe, and Ryan Burke. Gentlemen, again, thank you. We'll take a break. We'll return in a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
Earlier this week, we were talking about something fairly new in London. On the sidewalk, it says looklistenlive.ca in front of railroad tracks on Richmond, in front of railroad tracks that go across Colburn. And I was wondering whether, whether the message was going to get through the right way. And we started off this hour saying, in order to really understand something, you've got to look at the background behind it. So we went to the source. We went to the place where the message originated. Please welcome to London Live, Sarah Mays from Operation Lifesaver on the Look, Listen, Live signs. Sarah, can you give us the background story on this? Sure, absolutely. So, um... Our organization, Operation Lifesaver, uh, really exists to prevent uh, people from being seriously injured uh, or killed at uh, railway crossings. So this was an idea um, that we had uh, actually last year was to, to launch this Look, Listen, Live campaign. So the campaign is pretty simple. Uh, we're working with municipalities across Canada to install these these decals um, on the pavement near crossings and communities, and basically. We're essentially just reminding people, pedestrians, cyclists, and, and motor, motorists to exercise caution at, at those crossings. So the decals are four feet by four feet. They're big yellow triangles, similar to and shaped to a, a traffic warning sign. Uh, and they have the, the words looklistenlive.ca on them and a, and a silhouette of a train. Um, so the first ones were actually installed in Vancouver uh, last year, and then London, Ontario um, was the, the second city in Canada to install them. So we installed the first ones uh, at Richmond Street during Rail Safety Week last September. Uh, and I was really pleased uh, that the, the city wanted to install some additional ones at Colburn Street and Rectory Avenue as well. One of the things that, and I've walked over this, I've seen them, one of the things that I thought was, did you think about putting the word danger or hey you or something just to to (laughs) grab attention? Because to me, it almost looks like advertising. Did that come up in in creating the campaign? Well, actually, there's a a second part of the campaign. You're right in the sense that the tagline is looklistenlive.ca, which is our our website. And um, the reason for that is the second part of the campaign is actually a virtual reality campaign. So we've created a whole series of videos um, basically to show people how quickly and quietly a train can sneak up on them. So uh, these videos have... Uh, there's a whole series of them, basically. So we've got um, one that's shot from the perspective of someone taking a shortcut across the tracks and another one where someone drives around the lowered gates uh, at a crossing. Um, we've got another one where someone's driving an ATV beside the tracks. So these are all really dangerous behaviors, uh, and those videos show people how quickly a tragedy can happen. And that's that's great to have because one of the the reactions that we got was well you know those trains they're they're so small and unpredictable in the way that they're going to turn and they were just kind of making a, a joke in in responding to this but at the same time yeah you, you don't always realize that they can be kind of sneaky. Well, that's it. I mean, people don't necessarily understand how quickly and quietly um, trains can move. Um, they think that they'll always be able to see or hear a train coming and get out of the way in time. Um, but we see an incident after incident that, you know, that's that's not the case. Um, people also don't realize that trains can't stop quickly. Uh, the average freight train will take up to two kilometers to stop. And, of course, trains don't have steering wheels. 
they can't swerve to avoid hitting you. So unfortunately, you know, a locomotive engineer uh, can apply the emergency brake. Um, but if you're in the path of that train, um, there's, there's very little that he or she can do to, to stop uh, hitting you. Sarah May is joining us, National Director of Operation Lifesaver Canada. Sarah, putting this particular decal, the the yellow decal, down on the sidewalk, can you take us through the decision to put it on the sidewalk and where that came from? Um, Well, there really it it has to do with the material that the the decals are are made out of. So they're they're made of this thermal plastic. Essentially, they're melted onto the the pavement. so unlike a, a sticker or paint, it's this really resistant uh, material. And essentially, we're just hoping to, to catch people's attention, whether it's pedestrians, um, motorists, or, or cyclists, and just really remind them to, to exercise caution around, the, around uh, the crossings. Someone had raised the idea that it'll be good for people who are staring down at their phones, because uh, they'll see that <laughs> as, as they're moving along the sidewalk. Yeah, distraction is is uh, definitely um, an issue, uh, and yeah, we we hope that people will notice them, and it'll remind them to to put their phones away when they're, especially when they're around the crossings. Was there ever a concern about winter weather getting in the way? Um, we have in some locations. Um, for example, in in Winnipeg, we have also uh, installed some signage as well, um, just because of of the amount of snow uh, that they get. Uh, in that city, we decided that in that case, we would actually apply, uh, sorry, excuse me, install signs as opposed to the decals. And would that be something you'd be looking at in other cities as well? Yeah, it's really, um, it depends on the municipality. So um, we've reached out to 18 municipalities across Canada, just looking at um, communities where incidents have happened recently. Um, and we approach them uh, and engage their interest in the program. So we've got um, we've got some cities out west that are that are interested in maybe unveiling some, some new decals uh, in some western Canadian cities during Rail Safety Week at the end of September, so September 23rd to the 29th. As far um, as stats go, I mean, are, are we seeing are we seeing any rise or fall in the number of deaths or injuries associated with trains? Or is the data saying anything in particular? Yeah, so unfortunately, it does seem to be increasing. So we have data from um, the Transportation Safety Board of Canada, and we look at the two types of incidents that we get uh, data on. There's railway crossing and trespassing incidents, and Last year, there were 236 railway crossing and trespassing incidents uh, that killed 56 people and seriously injured another 72. Uh, of course, in our minds, these are, are entirely preventable deaths and injuries, so they're um, incredibly tragic. And not only for victims themselves, obviously, but for uh, friends and family members, communities, um, emergency responders, and obviously the, the railway employees involved. Well, we really appreciate the initiative, Sarah. Thanks so much for explaining everything in behind the scenes to us. Have yourself a great and very safe weekend. Thank you. You as well. That is Sarah Mays, Operation Life Saver. So the story behind the signs you now see on the sidewalks in front of train crossings in London. We'll take a break for news. And then when we come back, we're going to talk edibles. Try a little and then don't try any more until tomorrow. We'll talk about why that line is important. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
Good afternoon. It is 2 o'clock. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. Partly cloudy, 25 degrees, 29 with the humidity. Two years after Rachel Joris was killed in a crash with a farm tractor in Middlesex County, her family's launching legal action in hopes of preventing another such incident. The 26-year-old from Mount Bridges was behind the wheel when her vehicle came around a blind corner at Glendon Drive and Troops Road. She slammed into a 53-foot trailer hauled by a farm tractor that had pulled onto the roadway. It was driven by a 15-year-old. Joris, who was pregnant with her first child at the time, was pronounced dead in hospital. Now her family's suing Middlesex County and the farmer involved in the case. We'll have more information on this story throughout the afternoon. London police are looking for a suspect wanted for manslaughter in the death of a 33-year-old man last week. Police were called to a Hansold Street address at roughly 9.30 last Tuesday evening, where a man was found in medical distress. He was taken to hospital, where he was pronounced dead. Constable Sandasha Bow says police are looking for 26-year-old Adrian Julian Toussaint. London police have charged a man by way of warrant of arrest in relation to a death on Hansold Street on July 23rd. The victim is identified as Robert Cecil Joshua Burke, 33, of London. Police say the victim and accused were known to each other. Police have not released the cause of death. Investigators probing a sexual assault case in the Springbank area have released a sketch of the suspect. The incident happened last Friday evening around 7 when a woman was in the Civic Gardens near Springbank and Wonderland. She reported a male suspect riding a bicycle approached her, sexually assaulted her, and then took off towards the park. The sketch is posted on our website, 980cfpl.ca. Anyone with information is asked to contact police or Crime Stoppers. London police are investigating a suspicious trailer fire in the city's east end. No injuries were reported, but police say the fire department notified them of the suspicious blaze at around 6 this morning in the area of Dundas and Merlin Streets, just west of Clark Road. The London Police Street Crime Unit's investigating and asked anyone with information to contact them. The fire's deemed suspicious, but the exact cause and extent of damage are not yet known. Get ready for lots of sunshine this civic long weekend. We're just hours away from the start of what amounts to a mini vacation for many of us. And the forecast looks pretty much perfect. 980 CFPL weather specialist John Wilson tells us what those conditions will be like. It's a rare thing when you get three or four days of sunny, low humidity air in the summertime like this. But it looks like we hit the jackpot on civic holiday. No precipitation at all that I know of until late Monday. And then maybe a shower and maybe even not even then. It'll be a bit more humid by then, though. That's great news for anyone who wants to head out and enjoy the city, including Rib Fest, which is on in Victoria Park right through until Monday night. It's also perfect for anyone planning to get out of town for a road trip. OPP Constable Ed Sanchuk says drivers can expect to see more officers out on the roads. He tells 980CFPL they're also urging anyone out on the water to play it safe. And I know uh, people always tell me, well, I don't need to wear a PFD. I'm a, I'm a strong swimmer. And you know what? I'm going to put a message out to everybody. Once you fall in the water, regardless if you're a strong swimmer or a weak swimmer, it's going to be too late to put that PFD or life jacket on. So we're just urging everyone to put their safety as a priority. As for what's open and closed this long weekend, we have a full listing on our website, 980cfpl.ca. You're listening to 980cfpl. At the beginning of London Live today, we promised 12 different guests. So we have spoken with one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven of those guests, still five to go. We have an awful lot to get to this hour. In fact, we are going to be talking about a London charity that has grown after a number of years of serving this area and areas close by. Woof, they are off and flying. They're now a provincial charity. We'll talk about how that has even taken place. We are also going to talk about something that might make you a little uncomfortable, but depending on what age range you're in, 
We need to discuss it. You can shift in your chair. It's okay. We're going to talk about colorectal cancer rates. Just, just it's okay. It's okay to shift, but this is important. This really is important. And we're going to look at some of the data that's been coming out recently. And you may have seen or heard stories about this, but we're going to look at it from a, a different standpoint. And we'll do this in about 15 minutes, let's say from now, 10, 15 minutes. We're going to talk with Dr. Leah Smith who is with the Canadian Cancer Society, but we're going to look at what this data suggests, and we're going to look at data that pertains to people who are maybe younger than the suggested age to have a screening done, and what that's saying. Because the stuff you may have seen or heard indicates that we're seeing a higher rate of individuals diagnosed with colorectal cancer at younger ages. Well, why, what, what could be happening? What, well, we don't necessarily have concrete answers, but we certainly have suggestions. And if you fall into that age range, or even if you are in the age range from 50 to 74 or 74 plus, this is info that you need to know as well. Plus, we'll cap things off talking about what was a very successful event and finding out whether or not that successful event that was the EOA block party is going to continue. Bob Noxious will be in studio with us. Val Cole of the Powerhouse or Powerhouse Brewing Company will be with us as well. So jam-packed hour. Let's begin it. But let's begin it with something that I, I don't know whether I'm crying wolf again because I feel that a year ago I rambled on about the things that I felt legalizing marijuana would do. I thought it would. I thought it would do more. I thought it would be easier to access for kids. I thought it would I thought it would make a bigger difference than maybe it has. I still think the federal government did a disservice to everybody by shoving it through the way they did. I don't think they handled it very well. This is a money grab. I still believe all of those things. But as far as the impact on society, I don't think it was that big. But I sit here now and I think that edibles could have a big impact on society. And maybe in in a different way, maybe in the way I thought marijuana would. But that remains to be seen. What we need to do is educate ourselves about edibles. And I don't think we know a lot. When somebody says, hey, what is the percentage of alcohol in a bottle of wine? You might know that it's roughly 18%. What about a bottle of liquor? You might know that it's roughly 40%. Bottle of beer? You might know it's roughly 5%. How about if we start talking about edibles? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea even how to tell. So joining us right now is someone who's very close to this. He is the president and CEO of Indiva. And Indiva has a very close relationship with London. And we're lucky to have with us Neil Murata. Neil, great to have you here. How are things? Well, Mike, thanks for having me here today. Well, thanks for being here. We are heading toward a kind of a another mode of cannabis in Canada and the legalization that came in last October 17th. When you look at things like edibles coming in or some of the other products coming in, what are you seeing in the industry even right now before they give the green light to all of it? Yeah, well, I mean, it is an exciting time uh, for you know, cannabis consumers and for Canadians and for the licensed producers. You know, the the edibles and derivative products uh, that will become legal later this fall, or let's say uh, will be on shelves later this fall uh, in early 2020, comprise a huge part of the market that has not been available to consumers yet. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, whether it's things like chocolate, 
or sugar and salts, or, you know, there's other LPs uh, making beverages, I believe. There's going to be a whole new uh, list of products and selection for consumers to choose from for people that, you know, don't really want to smoke. And when we look at the data, we think there's millions of Canadians that have tried cannabis in very small quantities have admitted to doing so. Uh, and so they're not against it, but maybe that those small quantities are because they don't want to smoke. So it's an exciting time uh, for all these uh, interesting new products to hit the shelves. Now, how do we figure out how these products work? Because, like you say, for Canadians who don't want to smoke marijuana, this is certainly an option for them. However, it's difficult to know how much, I guess, would be in, in, say, one particular edible or what one particular edible would do. How do Canadians get ready for that aspect of it? Yeah, it's a good point, Mike, and obviously Indiva takes its responsibility very seriously to help educate uh, consumers, uh, you know, about about quantities and how to think about portion sizing and how much to take. I think, you know, there's this old adage, start low and go slow. I would edit that a bit and say, try a bit and don't try any more till tomorrow. I mean, there's no reason to, to push a good thing too far. You know, as far as Dosing recommendations, I, I think it's probably beyond the scope of this interview to, to get into that. Everyone's different. Uh, if you're a medical patient, you may want to talk to your physician uh, or go on our website. We do have a lot of uh, blogs and content talking about dosing. I think, you know, probably uh, it's difficult to make a comparison between, let's say, cannabis and alcohol. They really are very different. And so while you might be familiar with uh, you know, the effect of one beer versus two or three or four beers on you. I think this is a learning process that everyone's going to have to go through. But frankly, very similar to what, you know, let's say uh, people, you know, once they are of age, go through with alcohol, learning, you know, what their tolerance is. Everybody's different. Uh, it depends on sort of time of day and, and how rested you are, what you've eaten, uh, and what your own individual tolerance is. So the key, I think, really is for people to uh, start slowly, uh, be careful. Don't be aggressive about it. Uh, and the bigger picture, uh, Mike, too, is the government really has limited us here to 10 milligrams uh, per package. Uh, that is not a Herculean dose by any stretch. You know, in, in the illicit market, we would see hundreds of milligrams in a package. In markets like California, you see 100 milligrams in a package with each sort of serving size delineated as 10 milligrams. So, you know, for us in Canada, being limited to one package, I think, uh, you know, some have argued that's too low. I, I tend to disagree. I think, you know, 10 milligrams is, uh, let's say, as much as I would recommend anybody would start with. And uh, let's say I'm not the expert on recommending what people should try, but I think the government has, has done, I think, a decent job at, at making sure that people don't need a package with 100 milligrams in it by mistake, for instance, and end up in a tree. Neil Murata joining us, president and CEO of Indiva. As we look ahead to the edibles market, some of the other products that are going to become legal in Canada that are cannabis-related, and what a great line. Try a little bit, and then don't try any more until tomorrow, because, let's face it, with something like uh, an ingested product... It's not hitting your bloodstream very quickly, and and how many people are going to say, well, I had this 10 minutes ago, I I don't feel anything right now, I I guess I have a high tolerance, I better have more. Yeah, that tends to be the common mistake that people make, and maybe mistake is a harsh word, but, uh, you know, I mean, if there's any, you know, let's say, 
advice I would give, it, it would be, you know, to do what you just described. There's, it does take longer to kick in. Uh, you know, when people smoke or vape, uh, you know, the cannabinoids are entering your system through your lungs, gets your bloodstream much quicker. And obviously when you take an edible, uh, it's going through your stomach and needs to be digested. So there is, that is a process that takes time. You know, in some cases it can take half an hour. In some cases it can take two hours. And so I think people need to be patient. Uh, and I, I think the, the real enthusiasts out there uh, that are keen to try it that maybe haven't before, uh, I think the enthusiasm will carry them through. So there's, you know, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be in a rush to feel a huge effect. Uh, I think, you know, the, the rush, if there is one, should be to go to the store and, and buy some of these products before they sell out. We're talking again with Neil Morata, president and CEO of Indiva. Neil, what measurement is going to be on the packaging? You mentioned milligrams. Would it, will it all be in milligrams? Because when we think about alcohol, you don't know what 5% in a beer means or you don't know what 18% in a bottle of wine means until you have consumed some and you figure out how it affects you. So are we looking at milligram measurements? That's probably the most consistent way to look at it. Uh, you know, we can we can argue about onset and bioavailability of different products, but you know, looking at how many milligrams you're consuming. And that really is the case with some of the existing products now that are available, such as gel caps or tinctures or sprays, uh, where it's very clear what the concentration in terms of milligrams per milliliter or milligrams per gel cap, for instance. Uh, we'll be launching our gel caps uh, later this fall as soon as we receive our oil sales license through the OCS and in stores. And so the same philosophy would apply. That's, that's exactly right. People really should look at uh, how many milligrams uh, they're consuming, and use that as, let's say, a benchmark or a, or a scale to weigh, you know, how much they they consume. Are there going to be other measurements on packaging that that we do have to pay attention to? I mean, there will be nutritional information as well, obviously, but I think, uh, you know, the cannabinoids themselves. Uh, there may be THC, there may be CBD, there may be both. Uh, so we'll. We'll have a whole host of, of things listed, the nutritional information, the ingredients, uh, the total weight, as well as the total cannabinoid content of the product uh, for consumers to see. When exactly do you expect products to be available on market? Have they given you any hints? Yeah, so October 17th is sort of the official day that uh, edibles will be legal. Uh, there's a 60-day notice period that all, all of us as licensed producers have to go through uh, and so, in theory, that would be late December uh, at the earliest when products would hit the shelf. And so, I would, I would really say early 2020, uh, you'll start to see a, a greater variety of products hit the shelf, and uh, then you'll be able to buy it through the same channels you can now. So, whether it's online through the OCS in Ontario or, or in the legal stores that are opening up. How is that working out for you as a producer in terms of how consumers go about getting it? Well, I mean, obviously... Our preference would be to see more stores open more quickly. I think when you look at the revenue data province by province, uh, actually Alberta and Quebec were well ahead of Ontario until we opened our stores. And so there does seem to be, not surprisingly, this correlation between access and revenue growth. So we'd like to see more stores open more quickly. We'd also, uh, we're hopeful that uh, the Attorney General will We'll keep a promise and we'll be able to open our Farmgate store at our facility in London before too long. So we're preparing to do that and we'll open that store as the law permits. And any idea on timeline that way or are you at the mercy of, of kind of the, the bureaucracy to, to get through all of the documents? 
Yeah, it's, uh, as licensed producers, we're at the mercy of a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, not not all bureaucracy is bad, though. So I, you know, we respect the fact that uh, this is all very new. You know, we're still the first G7 country to legalize for adult rec use. Uh, so we, you know, we'd like things to keep moving along um, faster. Uh, might be better, but safety is important. We take that very seriously, right down to you know, even the packaging that we use. You know, that's I would say that. The primary risk with edibles is is that people maybe take too much or, or consume too aggressively. Um, I would say equally a big risk is uh, you know not letting this fall into the hands of, of kids. Uh, and so you know nothing replaces good parenting, but all of our products will be in child resistant, validated, uh, resealable packaging. So there's there's no risk there. All right. We are talking with Neil Murata, who is the president and CEO of Indiva. Neil, as a last question, how do you as a producer decide what kinds of products you're going to produce? You talked even about beverages that may be available. How do you look at the wide range of what can go out there and say, yeah, you know what, this is what we're going to do? Yeah, we, we've had a strategy uh, specific to Indiva. It's been intentional. We, we didn't sort of start developing an edible strategy six weeks ago when Health Canada came out with the new regulations. We've been working on this for several years. And part of what we've done is partnered with award-winning brands uh, such as Bang Chocolate uh, and disruptive products like Ruby Sugar and Salt uh, in order to bring really high-quality award-winning products to Canada. So we've primarily partnered with, uh, with U.S. brands and U.S. products that uh, we know we're very good, that people have had great experience with. In many cases, Bang's won, Bang won an award in, in the U.S. at WestCon for Best of Chocolate not too long ago. Uh, and so we look at mature markets and look at the data and say, okay, uh, cannabis chocolates, for instance, are a huge part of the edibles market in, in California, and so that's an area we want to play in. When we look at some other segments, uh, you know, there's a lot of hype about beverages. I, I, I'm curious about it. I, it's not really part of our strategy because we don't see it as being very popular in, in other markets. That's not to say there's no growth potential, but we've really tried to identify products that we know are uh, award-winning, very good, uh, well-accepted, and constitute a big part of, of other markets where edibles are already legal. Neil, it is always great talking with you. Thank you so much for all of the information today. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too, Mike. Neil Murata, president and CEO of Indiva. So there's some information on how things will be packaged, how things will be presented. Remember that line. If you are going to use edibles or if you're going to drink a beverage, take a little and then don't take any more until tomorrow. Write that down somewhere. We need a business card. We need a, We need bumper stickers. Nobody uses bumper stickers anymore. Little stickers on cars. Now, nobody has the big bumper stickers anymore. Where did those go? I'm glad they're gone, but where did they go? This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Colorectal cancer. It's something that can be very serious. It's something that can also be identified and dealt with. And joining us right now to talk about some data that we've been hearing a lot about that, hey, we're seeing a higher incidence of colorectal cancer in people under the age of 50. Wait a minute, what, what is this? Dr. Leah Smith is going to help us to understand, because there's more to this story than maybe you've heard already. Dr. Smith is the Senior Manager of Surveillance with the Canadian Cancer Society. Dr. Smith, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Not bad. We've been seeing a lot of stories popping up. 
given the data that has come out on colorectal cancer and how it's being found in maybe a, a younger part of the population than normal. Can you delve into the stats for us and let us know what this latest measurement has said? Absolutely. So what we've been seeing for a while is that colorectal cancer rates in Canada are decreasing. What this paper confirms is that this decrease is actually restricted to older adults. So what we're seeing is that in Canadians under the age of 50, colorectal cancer rates are actually increasing. Uh, Now, this actually isn't news or new information for us. What this report really is is an update on this information. So the increase that we've been seeing in colorectal cancer has been reported in Canada before. It's also been reported in a number of other high-income countries, including the U.S. and many countries in Europe. Um, But what this study really does is provide us information to let us know that this increase is still happening. And so hopefully it really gives us that extra motivation to figure out why it's happening so we can figure out how to tackle it. If we're to put ages on this, what age are we talking about? So what we're seeing is that the increase in colorectal cancer is happening in Canadians under the age of 50, whereas in Canadians over the age of 50, we're actually seeing a decrease in colorectal cancer. So under 50, and how, because it's not something that we necessarily mark on calendars to say, okay, I'm this age, now I'm at risk for this. What has been the the norm in this? Under the age of 50, was was it not necessarily as much of a concern before we started seeing this data come through? So the vast majority of colorectal cancer cases occur in Canadians over the age of 50. So what we see is that only about 6% of all colorectal cancer diagnoses are in that younger population. And so what we recommend is that if you are between the ages of 50 and 74 and are not at high risk of colorectal cancer, that you get screened for colorectal cancer. So you have a stool test every two years. In the younger population, so under the age of 50, population-based screening is not uh, not currently recommended. And so what we encourage people under the age of 50 to do is really, you know, know your body and be aware of the signs and symptoms of early colorectal cancer, um, including, for example, blood in the stool, which is a really um, noteworthy sign of possible um, colorectal cancer. And so if you see any changes or you're experiencing any changes, uh, that you really go and speak with your healthcare provider. Dr. Leah Smith joining us, Senior Manager of Surveillance with the Canadian Cancer Society. We're talking about data that, as Dr. Smith has pointed out, they've known about for a while, but they've been monitoring it, and they're seeing that the incidence or the, the incidence of colorectal cancer in people who are under the age of 50 has gone up, and that, that hasn't changed in the last set of data that has come through. Any idea what might be leading to this? Honestly, the reasons for the increase in colorectal cancer in younger adults isn't entirely clear. So we know that almost half of colorectal cancer cases in Canada are due to things like smoking, excess weight, diet, alcohol, physical inactivity, sedentary behavior. So these things that we call modifiable risk factors. So it's possible that any increases in these types of risk factors in the younger age groups could help explain this shift. Now, the risk factor that we've been... particularly honing in on and has been of particular interest here is excess weight. So what we're seeing is a rising prevalence of excess weight. Excess weight is a major risk factor for colorectal cancer and is increasing in younger populations. So it's possible there's something something worth uh, digging into there. Uh, but at this time, we really need more research to confirm whether excess weight is in fact a driver of this increase that we're seeing or whether other factors are also at play. Dr. Smith, 
is a colorectal screening something you can get under the age of 50? You'd really have to speak with your healthcare provider about what screening tactics are right for you. It could depend on your personal risk um, and any other number of additional factors. What the Canadian Cancer Society, as I mentioned earlier, earlier really does reinforce is the importance of people between the ages of 50 and 74 getting screened regularly for colorectal cancer. Now, there is that test you can request and then send away. Is a stool sample test, is that something that's still okay and still something that could be done? Absolutely. So that's usually the first line of colorectal cancer screening. So when we're talking about screening in those age 50 to 74, that would typically start with a stool test to see, is there any blood in the stool? And if so, um, next steps can be determined from there. All right. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Leah Smith. Dr. Smith is the Senior Manager of Surveillance with the Canadian Cancer Society. Time for news. Still two more guests to come. Still three more guests actually to come as we continue on a Friday on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So you've probably taken one of these little tests that show you don't need every letter and every word to read something correctly. You ever done that where they have basically a mess? It'll, it won't say what it's supposed to it'll have different letters but thank you will have th and and the k or um you know box will just be a b and and an x and you'll be able to put box together because bix and backs and becks and bucks are not words so your brain gets to know words without having to see every single letter letter without having to interpret every single letter it's how you read more quickly Well, Delta Airlines has run into trouble because of the brain's ability to read without really looking at every word. They've come up with these new napkins, and I don't know who thought of this slogan. Really? It's not very clear to begin with. But the slogan says, and it's written on napkins that you find on the plane, it says, the world is better with you out in it. That's terrible. I mean, that's uh, how is that not thrown aside at some meeting somewhere? That's awful. The world is better with you out in it. You get what they're trying to say. They're an airline. They want to get you out into the world so that you'll fly with them. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It, it doesn't really sound good. And here's the other problem with it, and people have been having some fun with this uh, using Photoshop, but when you read it very quickly, and a lot of people have been thrown off guard, it kind of says the world is better without you in it because the brain is kind of putting together the words that it it knows. You're, you're kind of forming things together quickly so that you can read it. And better with you out in it out you out in it is not a thing you see in the English language. So your brain doesn't recognize that. It's more apt to put it together to say the world is better without you in it. And a lot of poor flight attendants have had to explain to people who've held up the napkin saying, What is this? You want me you want me you want me gone? No, 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 it doesn't say that. Look look again. Look carefully. I wonder how many thousands, I wonder how many millions of those napkins they have printed. Can we get a recall, please? Can we can you bring those bring those back, please? Somebody messed up bad. We'll take a break.
Next, we are going to talk with someone who has been instrumental in helping a charity that was very central to London in this area go boom and explode onto the scene across the province. We'll find out how that happened. Elizabeth Wasco will join us next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We always like stories that help to put London on the map. So let's bring you another one of those stories right now. Participation House has been in existence for 30 years, and it started in London, and it is an organization that aims to help individuals who have significant challenges, either mentally or developmentally, and they have, again, been pretty central to this area, maybe reaching out a little bit here and there. Now, all of a sudden, Participation House finds itself taking a big step, becoming a much bigger organization. And once again, it'll trace its roots back to London, Ontario. Elizabeth Wasco is the chair of the board for Participation House and joins us now. Elizabeth, how are things? Things are great. Thank you, Mike. Elizabeth, this is kind of an interesting story. How does an organization that has been operating in London and the surrounding area, let's call it, for as long as it has, make all of a sudden a big jump and go from being essentially a a charity in the area to a charity that runs across the province now? With a handful of of these uh, parents that were concerned and wanting to do something for their children as they age. And to see how you've been able to grow, how difficult is it to do something like open a part of your organization in another city as far away as Ottawa? Oh, it is. It can be very uh, challenging. Um, houses sometimes need to be renovated to accommodate uh, the needs of the people that we live in. Um, there's a lot of negotiation that goes on in terms of um, what happens if they do need some hospital care and um, all of that. Um, and so um, it's a long process, but um, the families in Ottawa were very eager to have us there, and so we did everything we could to make it work for them. So how long would that whole process have taken? Uh, it was probably close to a year. Wow. And yeah. when you look at other locations, how far stretched is Participation House right now in Ontario? Right now, we are in London, Elgin, Middlesex, Oxford, and Lambton County. We're in Huron, Perth, Gray, and Bruce. Um, and, so, and we also have locations in uh, Owen Sound, Stratford, London, and St. Thomas. Wow. So this is a big step then to get all the way to Ottawa. It is, yes, yeah. So right now, uh, it's amazing to see the growth in this organization. Right now, we have over uh, 50 locations. We support more than 200 people, and we have a full-time, uh, a staff um, full and part-time of over 550. What made Ottawa kind of a, a choice? Because as you mentioned, we're looking, Owen Sound might be three hours away, but still, Gray Bruce County mm-hmm. kind of feels like we can reach out and touch it. Ottawa is kind of a jump over Toronto and the GTA and all the way to the eastern part of the province. What made that a target? Um, actually, it was the families in Ottawa that um, saw what 
was happening here in London with Participation House, and uh, we're very impressed with the model that we have and what our goals for our the people we serve are, uh, what our mission statement is. And so they came to us and said, we would like you to be in Ottawa. We would like our children to be in Participation House and in then- Ottawa. In terms of, you mentioned having to have the proper resources there, what mm-hmm. sorts of resources did you have to make sure were in existence before you could say, okay, let's, let's open some doors? Well, um, physically, the, the building, that it was um, a structure that suited the needs of the people we serve, and then also then looking for staff um, that had the same values that are so important to Participation House that they uh, embraced that fully. Um, so everything from um, the uh, everyday worker to the manager, all the way up. And it is still actually, though, uh, overseen and run by uh, our uh, COO and CEO here in London. And is it officially open and going now? It is, yes. Fantastic. It is. Well, Elizabeth, and we congratulations. Have two people there uh, living in their in the home in their home there. That's great. And you mentioned nonprofit fundraising is certainly a big part of that. How's fundraising in 2019? Um, as as everybody knows, uh, it's always a challenge, um, but we are doing the best that we can. Uh, we have three. Uh, fundraisers that we do ourselves each year. One is called Laudable Londoners, that where we honor someone that does uh, great work philanthropically for London. Um, and we have a Bolathon, which is a wonderful family event for all the people that are involved with Participation House. And it's just a great day to see everybody out bowling and having a great time. And then our third event is a golf tournament that's actually coming up in August, uh, on the 16th of August. So, and then other than that, we are starting to investigate some um, foundations that perhaps have uh, 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 in a mind to help the kind of charity that we are. Uh, to achieve our goals. And right now our focus is on trying to raise funds for, as I mentioned earlier, those accessible vans. Um, when we, when you think about transportation, uh, a van for us uh, costs fifty to seventy thousand dollars because we have and because we have to do modifications to it. That price is is very high. Um, anti-slip floors, the lift, wheelchair tie-ins, and all of those things. So that's one of our main focuses for this year. And the other one is to provide our own staff support for our people if they have to go to hospital. You can imagine how frightening it would be for somebody that is nonverbal to um, express what they need to the, to the nurses and doctors, to the staff at the hospital. So having somebody that they're comfortable with that understands them and can pass on those needs to the staff uh, makes for a much uh, more successful stay in hospital. And so that funding is, or that service is not covered by any of the funding we receive now from government, and so that's something that we're uh, focusing on to fundraise. 
Elizabeth, keep up the great work. Great to see the growth of the charity, and thanks so much for the time. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Elizabeth Wasco from Participation House. Just around this area for years and years and years. They're actually celebrating their 30th anniversary. Now, woof, they have a participation house up and running in Ottawa, making it a provincial charity. Let's take a break. Up next, two more guests. As we close out the show, we'll talk about something that was a very big success, the EOA Block Party. And if you don't know why the EOA Block Party was held or the story behind it, we'll get that. And then find out whether or not this could become something that we see again. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Quick check on what is happening at the World Junior Summer Showcase. Canada is in action this afternoon and leading Sweden right now 3-1 there in the third period. This is a look at all of the potential players for Team Canada, Team USA, Finland, and Sweden for the World Junior Hockey Championship. After this, this is kind of their summer camp, but they've turned it into more of, more of an exhibition where you actually play games against other countries. After this, you've got the Canada-Russia series, which actually will have a game in London. And then you've got the unveiling of the final World Junior team. Dale Hunter's the head coach of this year's World Junior team. Mark Hunter is the GM. And very soon, they'll be taking off for, not very soon, December and January, they'll be in the Czech Republic for the World Junior Hockey Championship. We can go back in time just a little bit, back to July the 20th. And we can talk about the EOA Block Party, which did such an amazing job of helping an 11-year-old named Paige raise money for her mom. Her mom right now is battling cancer. This ended up being something completely free, but it gave a real window into what this community is really all about. And especially when you say EOA, the pride that exists. And our good buddies at FM96, Taz and Jim, kind of got the story going. But in order to make this happen, we have our next two guests who played such a major role. Please welcome to the studio Bob Noxious and Val Cull of Powerhouse Brewing Company. Bob, maybe what we need you to do is take us back to the very beginning from your perspective of EOA Block Party. I remember hearing it all happen. I remember hearing Jim talking with Paige. So that was the first step. And I thought, well, that's a great thing, right? And then I heard Val come on and say, well, we'll help out with dropping off empties. We need a location. And prior to that, Val and I had talked about doing a show there. And as soon as I heard her say, well, bring our empties here, and I heard empties, I'm thinking, well, we can create a lot of empties. That's what we do. <laughs> so I, I called up Valley, say, hey, what do you think of this? What do you, what do you think we do a show, you know, and, and, and go all out on it? And she was right into it. So I said, okay, great. So Brad and I were talking, what are we going to call this thing? And I thought back to when I was in grade eight, my father, he said, we, you, you guys should play a show, play, play outside. I said, well, you know, People are going to complain. He says, not if you call it a block party. If you invite everybody, no one can complain. <laughs> so when I started saying that out with Brad, he goes, block party, EOA block party. Yeah, that works great. And hence it was born. So Okay, Val, the day of, what was it like? It was pretty wild. <laughs> I remember just looking over at the the tent. The weather was took a drastic change. Um 
And I saw this big black cloud and I texted Matt Buckley. He's the owner of Powerhouse. I'm like, I think we have a situation. <laughs> <laughs> like there was wind blowing, the tent sort of lifting up. Uh, things were sort of flying all over the patio and, and nobody moved. Like everyone just wanted to stay in the tent. They were ready for the show. Um, eventually Taz had to just get everybody out of the tent and we hurtled them into the brewery for a little bit. But miraculously, the weather cleared quickly. and very quickly, and the show went on, and it was amazing. It was the most energy I've seen at Powerhouse for sure. And I saw fear in Taz's awesome. eyes. Was, oh, did you? It was pretty funny. That's rare. Yeah. I'm not kidding. That yeah. is rare. I'm not kidding. He he just hit the microphone, and the it, the tent just started to move. And I actually remember watching money blowing across. The, the ground and I'm stepping on money. I can't move to bend over to pick it up because it's so windy. If I move my foot, it's gone. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was something. It was a no place like home movement for sure. But it shows the support. It shows that community coming together. That was that was the most amazing thing. Val Cole with us from Powerhouse Brewing Company. Bob Noxious with us as we talk about the EOA block party. We talk about Paige. We mentioned Paige and her story before we got going. So as far as as how much you raised, this is still kind of coming in, but you've you've crossed some thresholds here, Val. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. Um, the amount of empties that people dropped off at Powerhouse alone, it's been a bit overwhelming, I think, for everybody involved and f- fun at the same time. And so many people donated cash donations. We had a lot of corporate people pop in, like Bob's lawyer. Uh, <laughs> he, he contributed. Um, we had the people from Byron Roofing got their team behind it. Um, 100 Kellogg, Stobie's Pizza, like so many, mm-hmm. so many people came out of the woodwork that wanted to help and be a part of it and and get some money for Paige and her family. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, this has been done once. Bob, what do you think? Can it be done again? Yeah, well, yes, it's going to be done again. Yes, I we're can, friends I, now. I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's a done deal. So we, we're looking at you know if we can help out our community, that's what we want to do. So if we can uh, all come together like that once a year, we're in. Well, thank you. Congratulations. The hard work that goes in, you guys know very well how much hard work has gone into this, and there's been an awful lot, but it has paid off. Best of luck preparing for year number two. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Bob Noxious, Val Cola, Powerhouse Brewing Company, in studio with us. I want to thank all of our guests today, and I do want to add one more thing. A little over an hour ago, we were talking about hockey. We were talking about hockey with Ryan Burke and Garrett McCabe and Ethan McKinnon and Max Beckford, the creators of Hockey for Everyone. They are looking for goalies. So if you are somebody or know somebody who's between the ages of 7 and 9 and would like to take part in their free camp next Saturday, August the 10th, they're looking for goalies. And so please email them at hockeyforeveryonelondon at gmail.com. We are out of time for the week. Thank you to everybody who's made today a whole lot of fun on London Live. Thanks to Kelly Wong for all her help. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.